Hello and welcome to Seen Them Given, the show about the laws of the game and the referees who enforce them. This week, can a referee enforce unwritten rules? Can they even things up? And can consistency ever really be found? I'm Mike McCarthy, and at the start of this show, where we comment on the mistakes of others, I think it's only fair to point out I dramatically mispronounced the name of Derby County's Sam Baldock on national radio this week. If you heard it, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you didn't, well, I'm sure you can find it. Sorry, Sam. Uh, with me to discuss this week's Premier League action and a whole lot more, former FIFA referee and ex-head of the PGMOL, Keith Hackett. How you doing, Keith? Hi, Mike. Uh, so, can we start actually with a bit of a myth, a bit of myth busting? Getting the ball, I'm doing the air quotes as well on this Zoom chat. Uh, Aaron Cresswell, Mason Holgate, both getting the ball, both with challenges that merited red cards, I think it's fair to say. Only one of them got it, though. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, the inconsistency was glaring, wasn't it, between uh, Craig Pawson and uh, Chris Cavana? Uh, you know, first of all, I thought that uh, Craig should have detected that that was a red card offence. I'm appalled by the fact that Dermot Gallagher on Sky Sports News defended it and saying it wasn't because he got the ball first. Can I just sort of remind a referee who I used to be his boss, and that's Dermot. The law advice is, is quite clear that getting the ball first has minimum relevance as to whether a foul has occurred. There is no reference to making contact with the ball in the section relating to fouls and misconduct. A referee decides whether the foul is a careless, is reckless or excessive force. So I think that we, we need to make it clear that, as I've said before on this show, the ball cannot act as a decoy. And neither can you say, well, he got the ball first, his foot bounced up into the knee or or just below the knee of an opponent I, I was amazed that first of all no action taken by by Craig and no action taken by VAR because this was a clear and obvious error so they compounded the issue and then I think it was further compounded when Holgate was again adjudged thanks to VAR John Moss coming in and saving Chris Cavana getting him to look at the screen and at least Cavana then, having seen it, decides that's a red card. So they got to the correct decision. Craig, unfortunately, did not. And I think it's a pity because I do think in recent weeks, although he's only had five or six games in an 11-week programme, so he's not out every week, uh, I did think that Craig has got more mobile and as a result, his, his general decision-making has been much better. But on this occasion... Creswell should have gone. There's no question that Creswell should have gone. And by the way, I'm agreeing with Jurgen Klopp on that one, but I'm totally disagreeing with Jurgen Klopp in terms of the, the, the goal because, hey, where's his goalkeeper? I think he should be talking to the goalkeeper about his, his antics of not trying or attempting to score or save the ball, should I say rather than actually blaming the referee for not awarding a free kick. Perhaps he did off, uh, off camera. Who knows? Uh, I suspect he may well have done. But just on the, on the Cresswell one, and, and, and the more generally, I mean, Cresswell, even though he does, I'm do the air quotes again, get the ball, even when he makes contact with it, he's on the top of the ball, which yeah. suggests to me that, you know, whatever follow-through is coming is not going to look great. Yeah. I think ultimately, at the end of the day, the judgment is, have you launched yourself with two feet off the ground? And he has. 
And is he moving with force? He is. So out of, out of that, he's, he's automatically endangered the safety of his opponent. He can't stop. He can't pull out the challenge. He can't swerve to miss him. He's set off like a rocket and he's going to get the player. And he did. Now, yeah, he thought, I'll get the ball first. But I, I just feel that players and managers and coaches and everyone else in the game need to understand that, yes, it's a game of football, but the ball can't be used in the way that people are suggesting as an excuse. So I know it's difficult for people to understand, or it appears to be difficult for people to understand in this modern world of, of the laws of the game, but that's how referees have to apply it. And that's the law, that's how it's written. And, uh, and, and I think players need to understand it. Has it changed at all over the years, Keith? I mean, I imagine you as a referee throughout your career would have had players coming up to going, Keith, I got the ball. And, and thinking that well, got them off scot free. So has that has that evolved? Yeah, I think I think that we used to the, the law in terms of free kicks and fouls used to have the word intent. What that was asking the referee to do was something impossible, wasn't it? it it's, it's asking the referee to to read the mind of a player, the psychological bit. Well, that's a nonsense, and that's why the law was rightly changed. And then they started to emphasise. A careless, reckless, and excessive force endangering. Careless, free kick, penalty kick if it's in the area. Reckless is clearly a yellow card and a free kick or penalty kick. And excessive force that endangers is equally a penalty kick, free kick, and a red card. So that so I think that they actually gave the guidance where as a group of referees and as an individual referee, you've got to work on your understanding, and the only way you get the understanding of this is to actually show video after video after video. And I, and I used to put them together, reckless challenges, and it, interestingly, I used to play the, the Coldplay music of Yellow to subliminally get the message over it. All these challenges I'm showing you are in fact yellow card offenses. And then some pretty dodgy music for the red cards. What was the uh, red card music? I can't remember, but it, it was something pretty uh, outrageous. It's certainly not my type of music. A bit, bit, bit of Slipknot or something like that? Yeah, it might have been a bit. but It might well have been. But I, I think really playing those with a group of referees and discussing them and analysing them and, and on occasions, you know, then getting the referee to stand up. He's, he's got one wrong explain to us how you came to this decision. And often it was, I didn't get the right view, didn't get the right angle. Really, not as a whipping boy, but as, as a, a sort of means of getting the message across. Look, we want consistency throughout the 90 minutes, but we also want consistency as a group. It wasn't good looking, was it? The fact that Cresswell didn't uh, get a red, Holgate did for two very similar offences and then trying to justify one is right and one is wrong when the reality is they both cross the threshold of red cards. Now, it's not just me that's saying that. I've been inundated with emails today from referees around the world saying, surely Creswell's is a red card. And of course, equally, I've had the famous Bob Ballard, who used to work at Radio Sheffield, who you've probably come across, he was a massive West Ham fan. Of course, never forgive me for sending off Tony Gale, telling me that I'm entirely <laughs> and utterly wrong. But that's Bob. 
he shows his passion as a West Ham supporter. I'll forgive him. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, to continue the musical theme, I guess we can talk about uh, Natasha Bedingfield and unwritten or unwritten rules. Uh, can a referee advise on unwritten rules, Keith? The Arsenal-Watford game at the weekend saw Watford putting the ball out of play with a Watford player down injured and then Arsenal continuing to play on uh, as if the ball hadn't been put out of play. Uh, yeah. they, the, the convention is the ball gets given back. It doesn't happen on this occasion. Is there anything as a referee you can do uh, in a kind of nudge-nudge, wink-wink sort of way to make sure unwritten rules are are kept? I think it's a dangerous area. I mean, the one thing that the Premier League did many years ago was to say, right, OK, we had this nonsense of tactically players kicking the ball out, players going down injured and the ball going out of play, increased stoppages, increase, if you like, in less playing time. And the Premier League then rightly issued an instruction to say, look, the only guy that's going to stop the game is the referee. Let's stop doing this practice. I was surprised at Arsenal at the weekend. Um, I, I, it, is a, it is a convention. I don't think the referee can come in, but if he, if he comes in quickly, it would be to say the ball's taken from the wrong spot. And he could do that, I suppose. But ultimately... Arsenal of all teams. Remember Sheffield United, Arsenal in the in the cup when uh, United pushed the ball out, I think, and it was Arsenal's throwing and they went on and scored. That game was replayed because Arsenal recognised at the time that that was the wrong part of the convention. So, yeah, I think the referee might have been quicker. I, I'm, not, I'm not expecting or anticipating uh, a referee to cheat, but I do think that could have got involved quietly uh, and been proactive, but he wasn't. So there's no criticism of the referee at all. He's he can't he can't interfere with what is convention and when convention is broken. I suppose the other thing about that goal from Smith Rowe is that uh, there may well have been a foul in the build-up as well, which Claudio Ranieri and Watford weren't happy with. Uh, Saar yeah. gets taken out by yeah. Maiton Niles. Oh. It's a real body check. So, I mean, essentially, I mean, they could have got themselves out of jail in that situation as well, couldn't Absolutely. they? Well, I mean, I mean, just without without the throwing nonsense, that was a foul. And I, again, I I think this is where it was a clear and obvious error. And 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 I think that's where VAR should have come in and that goal should have been ruled out. I know I disappoint a lot of people, but the reality is that that was a foul. It was ignored in the build-up. It didn't, the foul didn't take place. Again, I was surprised that the VAR didn't see that as a clear and obvious error because, in my opinion, it was. Now, there's a few referees that have not uh, scored highly in the, in the reviews that you've sent through to me the weekend's performances, Keith. Do you want to start with the officials you've accused of being a bit lazy or the one that you've accused of being a bit weak? Well, I think I think they both figure in that category. I think when I look at uh, David Coo... Brighton, Newcastle? Yeah, Brighton, Newcastle. Well, first of all, he's in a great position. You, you, you know, his starting position is good. He's on the edge of the penalty area, relatively. I think he's got an unobstructed view. It's the easiest foul that you'll ever get. It doesn't give it. VAR comes in and it's given. You know, I mean, it's basic refereeing. It's just basic. So why, why has he not got the confidence to just point to the spot? And if he then 
in reviewing his own decision, if he's not got the right view, then he's still wrong because I expect him in that situation to have the right view and have the right viewing angle. So for me, lazy. Lazy in terms of not giving a, the decision and over-relying on the VAR. And I think that this is the worry that I've got with VAR. I've mentioned this before. I've, I've used the analogy of the tightrope walker, you know, the, the one who hasn't got the safety net and every step is so important that he gets it right. And if he makes an error, he falls to his death. So he's going to make the right step. He's under pressure. His concentration is absolutely focused. Introduce a net for the, for the tightrope walker, falls off, the net saves him. And I think this is the analogy that I use in VAR. I think that there's a danger here, that the concentration isn't 100%. The movement isn't 100%. So he's pulled out of the mire. And, you know, everybody says, oh, that's right. We got the right decision through the process. Hey, I want referees at the elite level to make the decisions better than a grassroots referee who's got a couple of linesmen if he's lucky on, on the games or assistant referees. And he's faced with the same challenge and gets it right more often than not. You know, I saw that at the weekend. I saw a very little bit of a crowded penalty area, foul, and the, and the referee in a central Midlands game pointing to the penalty mark. And I'm thinking, what a good decision. He was on the spot. He made the decision. He made the call. So here, here we've got a situation where we've got an elite referee. All he's got to do week in, week out is referee and train. Lazy. So then what compounded the issue for me was that Newcastle then break away later in the game. David Koo is caught flat-footed in his own half, if you like, Newcastle's half. And there's a foul by the goalkeeper. He doesn't even see it. He's not in a position to judge it and see it. It's a clear foul. You know it's going to be a red card. He doesn't give it. And he starts backpedalling which means he's not even seen it, he's not going to give it. Got the whisper in his ear and the VAR comes in and says, that's a red card. Gets him out of jail. We're praising the VAR because the VAR's got the courage. And when we go to Chris Cavana at Everton, we face with uh, Holgate crashing in, two-footed. He's fortunate that he's got John Moss, an experienced referee, although I criticise him in terms of his movement around the field of play, but his decision-making is pretty good. And he's come in and he's pulled Chris Cavana out of the mire. Was he dug out of jail with the penalty too that he awarded yeah. before it became very obvious that Hugo Lloris had got a glove to the ball? Yeah. I mean, I, I it's not good, is it? It really isn't good. We're talking about the very best, allegedly, referees in England. I really want to praise referees. I want to say, look, we are the best, but this is not the way to perform. And, and you know, there's been 11 weeks of games. So we're on the 11th week of Premier League games. And people like Pawson and Cavana and Koo are on six. They've missed out five weeks. That's their fault. Because if, if their boss sees them in the way that I'm seeing them, then they're not going to get regular appointments. And so Oliver's eight, nine, 
Taylor's nine. I think Tierney's seven or eight. You see, it, it's beginning to reflect in terms of, one, their earnings, because they get match fees. And I think that if you're refereeing week in, week out, providing you're not fatiguing physically, you're sharper and you're a better referee. Could uh, Graham Scott be fatiguing physically? You made note of the <laughs> Crystal Palace uh, Wolves game at the weekend, in just in terms of where he is making decisions, including a, a penalty kick to Wolves, which later, it turns out, was outside the box. I watched this game closely, and uh, he was stopping 10 yards short of the penalty area. So as, as play is going through, uh, he's stopping well short of the penalty area. And I'm thinking, you're going to be exposed here at some point in this game when there's a cl clear decision got to be made in the penalty area. And if, you know, young referees listen in and, and watch our programme, you know, squeezing the penalty area is so important because that's where the big decisions are. The penalty area. You're either going to give a penalty, you're going to see a push. You, all these sort of things take place. And the, the way to sell a decision, like the fire engine, think of a fire engine on the street. It doesn't come and park the bus, the, 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 the tender, three streets away to put a fire out. It doesn't turn the ozone on. Because if you turn the ozone on and you're three streets away, I'll tell you what happens. The, the oxygen in the water generates greater flames and you get a, a bigger burning scenario. So the fireman parks his, his fire engine at, a, at the side of where the, the house is on fire, pours the water on it. That's what referees have got to do. Don't park the bus halfway between the halfway line and the penalty area. Get into the penalty area to make those decisions. And, okay, he's made a judgment. Now, the first thing I would ask here is, he decided from his position it's a penalty kick. Was that clear and obvious, though? But the VAR comes in and says it's outside the area, he gets saved, and he, he gives the free kick. Uh, just on inside and outside as well, the box, one of the things that often gets brought up, particularly when it comes to uh, you know pulling offences and things like that, if a pulling offence starts outside the box but continues into it, that can be given I'm as a giving penalty. The penalty. However, I'm giving the penalty. However, if there is a sliding challenge, is that considered different? It shouldn't be. But often it is. I think there's a not a convention here. I think I think generally, on this one, it's a close it's a close thing. The the foul's gone in. I think with a pulling analogy, that's a really good one. That that is one I use at times, where that pull is there and it continues, and the player's trying to break away. Hopefully, the penalty kick's given. Mm. But we saw this weekend, didn't we, in the Aston Villa game, if you recall. Here's. Tyrone Mings jumping up for a ball and, and the defender is pulling his shirt and the shirt is extended by about 18 inches off the back of Tyrone Mings and no penalty is given. <laughs> and, and we smile, you know, we think, God, why have they not given that as a clear penalty kick? But, you know, Aston Villa lost that game. I wonder if that impacted on whether the manager kept his job or not. You know, decision makings in football are massive. It's not just a game of football, is it? It's, it's a game, it's a business. You know, there's, there's millions of pounds gambled on each game. I think there's a, a, a 
and you know the fans full full audience etc need to be right and you know i mean okay it was the eighth minute at uh, west ham v man city somebody said did that influence the outcome of whether a player should be sent off well i caught one referee and his name is mark halsey who's been on this show mark is seen often as a players referee he gets on with them he gets on with them because they show him respect but i also remember him as an owls fan remember that's me at hillsborough sending kevin pressman off in 15 seconds a denial <laughs> of an obvious goal scoring opportunity he applied the law and that's the one thing about mark halsey he gets on with the players but he still applied the law and i and i just think that you know an earlier discussion this evening centered around up 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 Referees getting too familiar with players, and you know, is there a lack of courage on occasions? Are they all a bit familiar, chatty, and around the game? Well, okay, fine. Don't want referees to be ice cold, but I do want them to be professional. I do want them to make first class decisions. Well, uh, let's hand out some praise then. Can we uh, talk about Jared Gillett? Um, yeah, a a, uh, a very very decent performance from him at Brentford Norwich and it seems like he's starting to find his feet in the Premier League. I think we're, we're talking here about an experienced referee that's come from Australia that was their number one referee, someone I know quite well. By the way, since he arrived on the shores of England, we've not spoken. We spoke once and I suggested that for the politics that exist in refereeing, it would be best that he and I didn't speak or have any form of communication. That doesn't mean that I don't admire what he's achieved. Uh, and, and I'm praiseworthy of the PGMOL and the Football Association on this because he did come to England to do research um, at Liverpool University. And I think it was great that they said, OK, here's the top referee in New Zealand, in Australia. We'll put him on the Football League and see how he goes. And I think generally he's delivered. But not only is he delivering in terms of out on the field of play as a referee, he's also delivering as a VAR. So he's becoming quite an established member. He's only had a couple of games, but I think I think Mike Riley has got to be confident that this guy is capable of, of, of doing more and, and that would help his performances. But a bit of a clarification for, for Phil, Keith, on, on this uh, game at Brentford. Uh, how... Uh, was good not sent off for Brentford when conceding the penalty against Norwich. Uh, your helpful hint from last episode about removing the offender when considering Dogso made me think surely it was a red. Wasn't definitely going to be a goal, but was argue unarguably a clear opportunity. However, there is triple jeopardy to think about in this one, isn't there? Yes, but triple jeopardy only comes in when it, the offence is inside the penalty area. So if, they, if the, the judgment inside of the offence inside the penalty area is that the goalkeeper or defender has made a genuine effort to play the ball, then it's only a yellow card. And this is, you know, this is a, a discussion I had uh, through email earlier today where they were very much saying, you know, surely the goalkeeper in the Newcastle game, Brighton Newcastle, uh, didn't shouldn't have had a red because of triple jeopardy, but he, he took the player out, uh, tripped him in fairness, way outside the penalty area. So it, it's a really good point, that one. And then the other incident over the weekend is offside, 
where they're saying, well, just a minute, there was, a, there was someone standing on the goal line, therefore it couldn't have been offside. The law is quite clear that it's got to be two players effectively in front of, okay, we've got level and in, and in front. The goalkeeper had actually come out mm. and was near the penalty area, so therefore ends that particular decision. Yeah, it was one that took a, a little while to for for some of the in the crowd to pick up, but but once it had been pointed out, it was a, a fairly simple one to, to yeah, rule, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. Something that you tweeted over the weekend, which I wanted to ask you about, Keith. Uh, too many upper body fouls are being missed. What what yeah. do you what do you mean? What what is being missed? Do you think uh, this season that 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 needs to be looked at? I've seen illegal use of hand and arm, the pulling offence. And Tyrone Mings was an obvious one. Why did they miss it? it? That's an upper body. So I'm talking about the arm offences, the, the the body checking sometimes. We talked in the past about obstruction. But, you know, the law changed. Obstruction was basically an indirect free kick. And tactically, that was taking place inside the penalty area. And, and the lawmakers then said, right, OK, what we're going to do is we're going to change it from... Uh, obstruction to unfair impeding an unfair impeding where there's no contact is an indirect free kick but unfair impeding blocking with contact is a direct free kick and should be a penalty kick and i and i think there are times when there's that the, the danger is that the referee goes in and his vision suddenly is waist below because he's looking at feet offenses and he's missing the holding the pulling the illegal use of hand and arm up, up top, and even going when the heading's taking place, the, the push into the back back of the neck. You know, we had a we had a player, uh, Silsden versus Penniston Church. Uh, Kieran Knightley was injured because of what I, having looked at the video, I considered to be an upper body foul that went missing. The, the referee missed it. Now, in fairness, the referee might not have had a good the best of view. He doesn't have VAR to review it, all those sort of things. Outcome was a player had to go to hospital. And, and this was, you know, coming in with arm leading forward. Those are areas where I think referees have got to be a little bit more alert. Well, of course, there was that uh, forearm smash as well in the uh, Aston Villa game last week, wasn't there? Which, uh, which... Well, I think that was the, the catalyst of, <laughs> of actually saying, how was that, you know, how was that missed? I mean, I still can't get over that one. But again, I, I think this weekend's been, in a, in, a, in you know, it's the 11th week and we've got an international break. I think up to week nine, I was beginning to say, look, I think, I mean, clearly VAR has been operating much better, but now we're suddenly getting VAR coming in more, but that, I think is more to save the referee in some of these decision-making processes. So I, I do think that this weekend was not a good one. And when you're looking at upper body offences in particular, and I, and I suppose uh, set pieces, corner kicks, these sort of things are going to be where a lot of that might happen. When you've got a crowded penalty area, how on earth as a referee do you decide what to focus on? Because, I mean, what what comes into your thinking to, to, to make sure you are looking at the right area and you know, how do you use your assistance to make sure you've got as much of the area covered as possible? Well, this is about the initial basic position of a referee. And it's a really good point that you made because when the ball's entering the from a set piece corner kick or a free kick into the penalty area, your vision is like a cone. 
And, and if you think, uh, you know, you, if you drew a, a pitch with players on it, and then you, here's the referee and you draw a cone, depending on the peripheral vision of the referee. But, you know, we know that ref, the, the, the vision scientist, the late Professor Gail Stevenson, was able to say very clearly that refereeing, referees compared to players had a, had a wider peripheral vision. And she believed that was down to the fact that we were always training automatically to, to see things. So put that cone and then look. You're obviously watching for the runner because the runners coming in will act like almost like a, a, a sort of a ball in a bowling alley. Let's try and uh, knock a few out. And you also know that you've got an eye to be kept on the goalkeeper because they're going to try and block him as well. And, and that, I think, is where Klopp was guessing that the goalkeeper had been blocked. But in, in, in effect, Antonio had come in and then stopped. He didn't actually continue as the ball was coming in to take him out. He actually mm -hmm. stopped. So the goalkeeper was more concerned. And I think the pundits on BBC were quite right to say his vision and concentration was on the player and not on the ball. So I think that I say to referees, when you're educating referees, the danger is that you look at the ball, you know, as a referee, mm. and the ball never committed an offence. And if it's in the air, it's going to come down. And what invariably happens is spectators watch the ball, players watch the ball, but a lot takes place before the ball arrives. And so if you, if you take, let's, let's look at the dropping zone in midfield when the goalkeepers lunge the ball upfield. What you will get is you, you might get the defender using his elbow, not up there because it's seen, down below into the chest and stomach area of the player before the ball's arrived. Oh, does he? And then you might get the, that same forward treading on his opponent, stamping down to break his attention. Or he grabs a piece of shirt and spins off it. And then you might also have the defender who, if he's clever, puts the push in early. So that push goes in and all it does is break the concentration and vision of where the ball's gonna land. Or he doesn't climb on top, he actually puts his arm across the shoulder of the player and bounces it down and prevents that upward momentum. And so you gain that experience as a referee to start looking at those offences. Just hearing you explain that as well, it, it makes me think of every manager I've ever heard saying, oh, referees, they don't understand how the game is played. They, they, they've never played the game. They don't, they don't know what's going on. Hey, clearly, you know all the tricks, Keith. Well, I think that uh, the, the thing that referees do, as referees have done in the past, is... Uh, pass on those skill sets. And that's what I try to do when I'm coaching referees. I mean, for example, a young referee would might say to a player, the next time you do that, I'm going to yell a card you. And, and the next time he doesn't because he thinks it's an innocuous foul rather than a big foul. And therefore he's left himself exposed. And it, it, it's far easier to, to say to young referees, don't threaten with a yellow card. Don't, don't threaten a red card. Just say you want an improvement 
in their behavior. And that leaves the, the wide open door for you to manage that situation and do whatever you want to next time round. You're actually putting the management process in. But it, it, it's talking about the step process, that, that quiet word, running alongside a player, recognizing that the temperature's going up in the game and suddenly going foul, 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 no advantage played because you've got to bring the game back under control and manage the effectiveness. When a substitution is taking place, are you, are you as a young referee prepared that the tactics might change? The guy who's coming on might, might in fact inject more pressure. Or the team that's losing 2-0 at half-time, going off dejected, suddenly come on. And because the manager's given them all hell in the dressing room, suddenly their whole attitude changes. So, yeah, we're aware. We're aware of the goalkeeper who rolls onto the ball, who decides I'm going to do it one side, the goal kick, one side, the, the penalty, the goal area, or the other side. The thrower who delays the taking of the throwing. The guy who puts the ball in the quadrant or outside the quadrant because he thinks it'll get stopped. And then, of course, the classic of two players going towards a corner kick when we're in added time. And that's when the referee has to get up there, even though he's got a colleague standing a yard off, and, and find a foul if necessary. Because don't let it escalate when they start beating each other up <laughs> physically and, it, and the game explodes. The one thing I always find amazing is that Teams will have a defensive coach, an offensive coach. They will have uh, sports scientists of all natures. And what they don't have is an experienced referee advising their players what they can or cannot do and the referee that's in front of them this weekend. And I find that amazing that they don't check the personality, look at the individual. Sometimes they can prejudge. But I, I, I do think there are aspects that we do know the game. I think there are times when managers need perhaps advice. You know, this is interesting because I remember in, in my young days as a, as a journalist, I, I used to cover rugby union. And one of the things uh, we got to the ground early, it was a game, a Gloucester against Leicester Tigers. And some of the Gloucester coaches had come up to the referee and were explaining what they were going to do with a line out. And they wanted to check with the referee that he wasn't going to penalise them for doing what they were going to do. Which I thought was very clever. A, because one, they wanted to check that it was fine. But also, they're telegraphing to the referee, if you see this thing that looks a bit odd, you're already primed to recognise what's going on and that we know that you've said it's legitimate. Um, so, I mean, I, I'm, I'm surprised. That, I hate to hear you say that, but actually... I would kind of expect, you know, in, in a game, like, like you say, where every angle is completely analysed to death, why there isn't, or why there aren't former referees advising clubs? I mean, is there a, a sense of, I don't know, impartiality that the referees feel they might lose or former referees feel they might lose if it came out that, oh, certain ex-referee is now advising Liverpool or Man United or anything like that? Well, I don't think you want active referees doing that. No, but I, I mean, that, but formal I think ones. that, you know, I, you know, you mentioned rugby and I think rugby is very open and transparent. I think that <clears throat> referees are respected. I think they communicate exceptionally well. 
Nigel Owen's been perhaps, well, for me, certainly, as I've said many on many occasions, he's the world's best official in any sport because he communicates brilliantly. I don't know about the accuracy of his decision-making. I know it's pretty good. But then again, I look at other referees. They've got massive experience. I mean, Wayne Barnes seems to have been at it since God was a child to some degree. Uh, but he still goes out there and he communicates well. And, you know, I decided to look at closely at some of the refereeing in rugby and then transfer some of those skill sets into football. One of them being, of course, the communication kits that they use very effectively. I'd love to have RefLink because I, I you know, I, the communications came from the same company as RefLink and uh, I was invited to Twickenham and, and I, I had this thing on my ear and I could listen to the match officials. I learned more about rugby in one game than I'd, I'd, you know, I'd been watching and listening to the great Bill McLaren explaining to me the, the decisions and the processes and, and all that goes with it. Uh, yeah, I think football tends to be fairly insular and it, they throw snowballs at each other, really, don't they? Uh, managers and, and referees. Uh, referees have to accept them. They don't throw them back. But I do think that there is a perhaps a lack of understanding and some to some degree the other way. I mean, I, I was critical of... of couple of referees this weekend technically where they were running across the line of the player in possession and that simply is that they're on a level with a player that's got possession of the ball as they're moving towards a penalty area and they're preventing that player from passing the ball to the left because the referee effectively is in the way and you're saying look this referee needs a bit of advice he's got to be a couple of meters behind looking on as the ball, as the game develops. So I think all these things are uh, awareness, awareness of what is achievable, what's acceptable, what's not. Now, you want a working environment, but, you know, sometimes not. Well, it's amazing, isn't it? Uh, the, the difference between, many, many differences between rugby and, and, and football, but I think the main one is I have a chance of understanding all the laws of the beautiful game, whereas I will never not see a scrum collapse, see an arm go to the left or the right, and understand why. So uh, I think that's about yeah, as much as we can do tonight, Key. Thank you uh, so much uh, again for being part of the uh, the podcast. Pleasure. If you've got a question uh, for Keith, the email address, hello at seenthemgiven.co.uk is where you can get in touch. We're on Twitter as well, at seen underscore them underscore given. I say this every week. It really helps us if you leave a rating or a review. If you're enjoying the podcast, uh, wherever it is you get your podcast, it'll help others discover the show uh, we try to bring you new episodes of seen them given every monday occasionally we don't quite live up to that promise but uh, next week uh, i'm i'm pretty sure we'll be able to do that uh, if you've enjoyed the show as i say do do let people know about it uh, for now though thanks so much for your company keith thank you Pleasure, we will see you next time Pleasure.